Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast, take two. I'm your host, Blake Murphy, still a little under the weather somehow uh, over a week later. I'm joined once again by Eric Green, whose time I wasted earlier this morning. Uh, listeners of the show know we've had some audio issues in the past. A weird one came really? up. Yeah, really? Yeah. A, a weird one came up this morning. Uh, Eric and I recorded. It was 40 minutes of gold. That'll be way, that's way better than what this will be. Uh, and I went to edit it. And all of Eric's sound waves showed up in the file, and there was no Eric, only sound waves. I tried isolating them and amplifying them and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, We couldn't get Eric's voice, but the sound waves were still there. It was like ghost Eric or something. And and let me tell you about those sound waves. They were magnificent. I never know. Just magnificent. I've had to do this before in the past, uh, re-record a podcast that the audio was lost for. I'm never sure if it ends up better or worse. Like, I feel like we're going to rush through points that we made in more detail earlier. But I also feel like maybe the banter will be better because we're annoyed at actually talking about the topics. I'm not sure. Yeah, we can just do we can do cheap imitations of ourselves, which basically is how I feel like I live my whole life now. It's really good. Yeah, so we had to we had to switch from Skype to Zencaster for this one. Yeah, I'm just gonna leave it, man. Well, usually the self-deprecating and depressing parts are for at the end, like when we like in the earlier yeah, well, one when we talked about the weather, and I claimed that we, you know, I can only focus on the lows, not just in the weather, but in general. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're trying to come at you again now. Uh, it's been a busy week, so we didn't want to just drop the uh, drop the podcast altogether. Obviously, the Toronto Raptors played the Cleveland Cavaliers on Wednesday night, um, and they played the Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday in another game people wanted to talk a lot about. And if Eric mentions the referees at any point during this podcast recording, I'm hanging up, and we are just not going to do one this week. So, um, Although there's a bit of a Schrodinger's threat there, since if Eric said that, you would never hear this podcast, so you wouldn't know anyway. Uh, Eric, don't talk about the referees yeah. from Sunday's game, please. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. So, oh, the other thing that we talked no, about. You know, the, act, the actor who played Bozo the Clown died. Is that related to Mark Davis or is that just a non sequitur? Hey, I did it like I, it wasn't me. It was you. Come on. That was a. Uh, it was, it was, it was. Yeah. That was you a did lot. Well. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. One thing we, we mentioned before uh, we got into Raptor stuff actually is, you know, real basketball. The, the basketball people care about. Basketball with the real players. Uh, there was a media game last week. Eric, you and I got to team up for the first time. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. It made me realize how far the NBA three-pointer is and that somebody could shoot 45% from there is absurd. NBA players are good, Blake. Well, this is my take. Here's where I deal with that. I just don't shoot. Just yeah, bring out the clamps but... and then don't do anything on offense. I'm, yeah, I'm still but, worried about uh, uh, that. Sorry, go ahead. That, you know, limits your options on uh, on one end of the floor. Uh, and our team was perhaps starved for offense. Not that I really helped, yeah. but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I still, I'm waiting for someone that sees the footage of it to pull me aside and tell me kindly that I'm not Rec League Roberson. I'm closer to Rec League Dominic McGuire and, uh, you know, my 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 shelf life will be similar to to that of Dominic Maguire. 
Um, that's a that's a Raptors deep cut right there. Yeah, he he was a Raptor killer in one or two games. Who right? hasn't been? Look, if you, I feel like a ten day an yeah. NBA ten day contract. He was on some of those Charlotte. Oh yeah, he yeah. definitely had some Charlotte games during that unexplainable yeah, losing streak. Inexplicable Charlotte Bobcats uh, wins. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I feel like an NBA ten day contract just kind of comes with, you know, it's written in there that you get to kill the Raptors. It should be. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the Raptors are past the stage of their their uh, evolution. Where Dominic Maguire's uh, killed like them? Think. I mean, they'll, yeah, they'll get back there. I mean, not to Dominic Maguire, but to Dominic Maguire. Yeah, I mean, look, Shelvin Mack did, uh, Shelvin Mack did his thing t- on Sunday, so or Tuesday. Uh, yeah, so the other basketball thing. Uh, Eric, you, you and I play in the same league on different teams. Uh, I play with Dan Reynolds. Uh, you play with some other friends including occasionally Bruce Arthur. Tonight, my team will try to punch our ticket to the playoffs. We're the fifth seed. We're against the fourth seed. It's basically a win-and-you're-in situation uh, in the second-last game of the season. Eric, you want us to lose because you want revenge on us at the consolation bracket, do you not? I just think it would be fun to have another game. Uh, It's different than wanting you to lose. Like, Obviously, I'd rather you guys win than some of the other garbage teams in our league. Um... But, uh, you know, it would be fun to play you guys again, I'm sure. Uh, But, you know, I wish you the best of luck. And, uh, you know, hopefully Reynolds doesn't torpedo your defense too much. Uh, He will. It's just a matter of whether I can make up for it and, uh, you know, whether he he brings a little bit of offense to to account. It's it's kind of funny. I mean, it's funny to me. I don't know if it's funny to other people on our team or in the league, but the degree to which Reynolds and I are complete polar opposites on the court is it entertains me. Yeah. It's like, uh, you remember when Hito Turkoglu came to the Raptors and it's like, well, he can be a good system defender because he was on great Orlando defenses. Turned out he couldn't and was, uh, pulled up by Dwight Howard's presence. I mean, it's not kind of like that. It, it's not at all like that. That's just been on my mind. Lately. Yeah. Those uh, teams are very interesting. Uh, the no the, the magic teams or the no the magic defense teams. raptors the magic teams yeah they are more interesting than the no defense raptors yeah i've seen enough no defense raptors teams that they're they're not particularly interesting uh, we saw a no defense raptor team twice this week we saw them sunday in a loss to the oklahoma city yeah. thunder we saw them wednesday in a loss to the cleveland cavaliers uh, i want to talk sunday first but uh, wednesday is obviously more important the raptors will not run into the oklahoma city thunder in the playoffs barring some very strange happenings in the Western Conference. However, not only did that game highlight some of the defensive concerns uh, that have been popping up over maybe the last 10 games for the Raptors, the Thunder also offered a little bit of a blueprint into how you could go about beating the Raptors' pick-and-roll defense. The Raptors' pick-and-roll defense, as I wrote about a couple weeks ago in-depth at The Athletic, um, is very much built to goad teams into mid-range shots. You saw when they played the Rockets, Chris Paul was just giving up open looks because the Rockets are so against uh, those those inefficient long twos, or not even long twos, the 9 to 10 footers that the Raptors do really well contesting. Um, and, and they did well in that game, even with Clint Capella as a role man. Against the Thunder, you know, the Thunder are uniquely built with Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams to exploit the way the Raptors want to defend that because Steven Adams is an elite screen setter and has tremendous footwork on the dive and is stronger than pretty much anyone inside. And Russell Westbrook is Russell Westbrook. Uh, Eric, that game, obviously, uh, people globbed onto the refereeing. 
and to a lesser degree, the um, late game execution once again. Do you have any takeaways on the defensive end or, or just in general from that one that maybe worry you if enterprising Eastern Conference teams were taking a close look? Yeah, that game concerned me less than the Cleveland game. I mean, both for the reason you mentioned off the top, that they're not going to play the Thunder down the line, uh, but also the style. Uh, I mean, you mentioned how good Stephen Adams is. And when you, as a screen setter and as you know a finisher, once he gets the ball, if he gets the ball, and it is a rare combination of skill and bulk that, you know, you look at their likely opponents, like who is bringing that in the Eastern Conference? Like, the, I'm not sure there's a big man like that in the Eastern Conference that plays a, a primary role on on a, on a potential opponent. You know, it's not the same if, you know, John Henson is setting those screens. It's not the same if Kelly Olynyk is setting those screens. It's not the same if Tristan Thompson is setting those screens. Uh, so, you know, the, the combined physicality of both Adams and then the physicality and, you know, just dynamic nature of Russell Westbrook, I think makes that a special combination that exploits, uh, the Raptors slider guards and, and Jonas Valanciunas's, uh, you know, lack of fleetness, should we say? And I don't really see it as a huge problem. I, I mean, teams can pick on DeRozan and Valanciunas in the screen role, and that's something that's going to just be tough for the Raptors to deal with. But as a whole, uh, I don't see it as a bl- necessarily a blueprint. Do you think it's it's more exploitable than that? No, I think, you know, I think I think teams could certainly look at some of the things that Westbrook and Adams do and try to replicate them. But like you said, there is no Westbrook. There is no Adams. No other team has a funny, charming seven footer who's at Lord concerts in Oklahoma uh, and who can also bully Jonas Valanciunas. One of the reasons the scheme has been so successful is that not only does it play to Valanciunas' strengths and weaknesses fairly well, he's also strong enough that you know, once you get inside, even if he's dropped back and doesn't necessarily have the best defensive rebounding position, uh, he's still strong enough that he's one of the best defensive rebounders in the league. He has a career high defensive rebounding percentage, even though this system tweak has him contesting a lot more shots, which, you know, you would think go contrary to one another defense rebounding and the ability to contest. Um, but Stephen Adams is one of very few guys who can match strength with Valanciunas and muscle him out of those spots. Uh, and come in with a little bit ahead of steam and make the finish too. You look around the East at teams that are going to be potentially playing them in the first round, especially, you know, Hassan Whiteside is a nice lob threat, but Hassan Whiteside is not that guy in terms of a savvy dive to the rim, um, exploiting a defensive scheme and possessing the footwork to make all of that work. He's kind of just, you know, a lob threat and a rebound threat in the traditional sense. You look at the Bucs, they don't have that guy. Yeah, once he he puts the ball on the floor, like – you're you're okay with that like yeah he might finish some plays but if he's taken a dribble it's not the worst thing for a defense yeah exactly um so i don't uh yeah i don't think there's a ton that's you can replicate there uh that that's not to say that some of the same things can't be exploited but to your earlier point i thought cleveland on wednesday night was more troubling not just because cleveland is going to be uh an opponent at some time in the playoffs but because some of what they did outside of LeBron James is maybe a little more repeatable, 
that said, LeBron James scored 35 points with seven rebounds and 17 assists and had zero turnovers. And no one has ever done that in an NBA game before. And it kind of makes you wonder if LeBron James is ever going to run out of things no one has ever done before to do and to do to the Raptors. Yeah. Uh, he is the white whale, right? Like it's, it's tough to play basketball that well and that he continues to do it and you know so often does it against the raptors is you know just a product of being a good team in the easter conference and the age of lebron uh but you know it's it's really exploits the fears and and you saw a lot of those tweets from very smart people last night and also very unsmart people uh, saying, well, this is why you can't doubt the Cavs until they've actually lost four out of seven. Uh, because that guy has seemingly, you know, can tap into, you know, whatever reservoir he needs to sometimes. Saying that, you know, the Cavs shot 63% from three, uh, they shot 60% from the field, and they were low on turnovers, and I, I just, you know... And they won by three, which, you know, the Raptors also obviously had a great offensive night. Uh, but this wasn't, you know, this whole, it wasn't a totally damning, well, the Raptors don't have a hope type type game, if people want to spin it like that. No, and, you know, it's the, the tough thing about this game from an analysis perspective is that both sides had a ton of caveats coming in. The Raptors were playing their fifth and seven. Yeah. They're third and four, the second night of a back-to-back, 10th and 16, however you want to chop it up. They were out C.J. Miles, who, even though he's not, uh, he hasn't come quite as advertised defensively on the whole this season, is an important part of any matchup with Cleveland. Cleveland, on the other end, missing five guys and their head coach. Uh, so neither of these teams were, you know, in the exact shape they'd be in the playoffs. Um, you mentioned some of the difficult shot making. Both teams shot a ridiculous 58% on contested field goal attempts. Um, which I don't think would keep up over an entire series. Although last year in the sweep, there was one game where Cleveland shot significantly better on contested shots than they did uncontested shots. So maybe that is part of Cleveland's yeah. strategy is just to hit ludicrous shots. But I don't think George Hill is going. But it's to- not the same team. Yeah, and we I have th- to keep that in mind. So many chains, they call him Channing Fry. Yeah, uh, I don't think George Hill is shooting ten of eleven and six of six on contested shots. I don't think. The Cavs are shooting 76% at the rim, where the Raptors have done a really good job defending this year. Um, So there are some things like that. And then, you know, there are some problem areas, like the fact that the Raptors still don't have a great idea of how to slow LeBron James, because no team in the NBA here in 2018 in LeBron James, what, 15th season, has an idea how to stop LeBron James. Yeah, LeBron surrounded by shooters, which, you know, was sort of mandated by the Cavs' availability last night. And, you know, it's certainly a look that they're going to keep, if not in their front pocket, in their back pocket, is a very hard thing to deal with. Uh, And the Raptors, for all their increased versatility, you know, are not a team that can switch one through five uh, because... Well, I mean, for any number of reasons, but they have, you know, two centers who aren't really equipped to do that. And they have two point guards who, you know, might be scraping six feet on, you know, after they haven't gotten, you know, a haircut for a while, which Fred Van Vliet obviously never has to deal with. Uh, But, 
so that you know they do have increased versatility with Siakam, with OG Ananobi, uh, with Serge Ibaka on his better days, which you know Wednesday night was not one of them. Uh, but they're not Golden State who can switch four positions on the floor or something like that. And uh, so it's tough. <laughs> and you know beating LeBron, unless you know even when he had that. 2008-2009 cast in, in, in Cleveland uh, was very tough. So it's, you know, he's having one of his best individual seasons this year, and assuming he gets some help, it's going to be quite a challenge to hold them to under, you know, 110. Uh, Which is why you just rain napalm on them. Yeah. Are, yeah, that's what the Raptors are going to have to do, or they're going to have to try to win, you know, 125-120 games, which... You know, they can do. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they can get two games like that because the Cavs just aren't very good on defense. They're not. Uh, and most of their defensive players, yeah. their, their best defensive players are non-shooters. Like Tristan, if you put yeah. Thompson uh, at their best, probably their best defender, other than maybe George Hill. Um, and yeah, he takes away from the offensive end. So, sorry, that's non-LeBron category. Obviously, if LeBron wants to lock someone down, LeBron's their best defender. It, that just doesn't happen much in the regular. Yeah, season. that's that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing we didn't see last night. That, he didn't guard DeRozan uh, you know, in possession. If, if I don't DeMar, think. Yeah, if DeRozan gets going, then they uh, they break that. Sorry, class, Le- uh, LeBron guarded LeBron guarded DeRozan on three possessions, and all DeRozan got was that one yeah. foul uh, late in the game. Um, in terms of that LeBron offensively. Oh, maybe it was. I don't know. LeBron complains about everything. That's, so that's another story. The Raptors are not unlike that themselves. Uh, yeah, everybody everybody uh, whines. Yeah. Everybody hurts. Everybody whines. Um, in terms of LeBron and, and how you defend him, obviously in the past two playoff series, the Raptors have tried defending LeBron straight up and letting him get his, and it hasn't worked. They've tried loading up on him and making his teammates beat him. That hasn't worked. Obviously, this is a new team. This is a different Cavaliers team that'll have different personnel out there. Um, what the Raptors did on Wednesday was throw a couple different looks at him. Serge Ibaka guarded him for the most part down the stretch. He guarded him for 13 possessions overall. And obviously individual one-on-one defensive data comes with a ton of grains of salt because, uh, you know, it, it, you can't ascribe blame or credit to just the one-on-one matchup here. Um, but to paint with broad strokes, Serge Ibaka guarded him for 13 possessions. LeBron scored eight points. The Cavs scored 20. Not great. Um, the other issue with Abaka guarding James, at least when you're in a traditional lineup, is that you lose the option to put Jonas Valanciunas on a wing. The Raptors, after Kevin Love got going early on, the Raptors moved Jonas Valanciunas onto Jeff Green um, and moved Abaka onto Kevin Love, which worked out pretty well. Valanciunas, um, Jeff Green was less able to exploit that matchup than Kevin Love was. Um, Valanciunas had a solid offensive game and a decent game on the glass. Um, so that, that worked out, but you lose that option if Ibaka is guarding LeBron in a typical lineup. OG Ananobi started each half, guarded LeBron for 25 possessions, and LeBron only scored nine points, which isn't that bad, uh, but the Cavs scored 36. Pascal Siakam probably looked the best qualitatively. He guarded him for 29 possessions. Uh, LeBron scored 12 points over that time. The Cavs, though, scored 47. LeBron had eight assists in that time. Siakam basically turned LeBron into a playmaker. LeBron standing at the elbow, running that corner offense and picking off cutters and shooters. Um, it's really tough. There, there, there are no good options here. Did you come away feeling 
confident or worried about any of these three individual LeBron defenders? Are, is Siakam, you know, maybe the guy? Are the Raptors going to have to accept some trade-offs here? Yeah, I mean, it's LeBron, so you can't cover off ever, any, everything, rather. And sometimes it feels like you can't cover off anything. Uh, it's funny, though, because, like, the points per possession, uh, they did the best with OG Ananobi on him. That's certainly not how it felt like to me, which is why numbers are useful, um, because our brains are sometimes not useful. Uh, and that might have to do with some of the ongoing concerns I have with uh, Ananobi's play uh, on defense, uh, you know, sort of not making up for his his offensive passivity right now. Yeah, let's let's talk about that quick. Sorry, um, Ananobi, okay. four games back, he's a minus 15. He's had a negative net rating in three of those games, which runs really counter to what he was doing uh, earlier in the year when he was a plus minus stud. Uh, he has shot, what, 6 of 11 and 2 of 4 on threes over those games. Yeah. Uh, but are you you a little concerned? Because he, he went into this injury looking like he had hit the wall. Uh, he said there wasn't a mental any mental wall that he was hitting. But he did tell me afterward that, you know, it was probably the best for him to get a little bit of a physical break. Uh, are you How concerned are you that he hasn't looked great coming out of this? I mean, only in conjunction with how he looked before it, right? Like, it's... If it were just four games and he was struggling in those games, it'd be like, okay, well, he's a rookie, he has to work his way back into rhythm, that's fine. But it's not like he was killing it beforehand earlier. And, you know, with if you're playing with Serge Ibaka and Jonas Valanciunas, you don't necessarily have to make the quickest of decisions because that's, that's not a lineup that's going to get you from side to side to side and back again, generally. Uh, there are enough, you know, scorers, first of all, and, and ball stoppers to a certain degree where that you're playing differently than you're playing with the five-man bench unit. Uh, but he does stop the ball, and you can only afford so much of that. Uh, and it, he's a bit slow to make his decisions. And when you combine that with, you know, the defensive slippage, I think we see it most often sort of on, on cuts uh, off the ball which, you know, shouldn't be a huge concern with LeBron because the ball is so often in his hands, but did get them a few baskets last night early on. Uh, it's, it's a concern. And, you know, I would expect that the coaching staff is, you know, not talking about making a change. I think this is the lineup they go into the playoffs with, and I think it should be. But, you know, they're talking about contingency plans because I think it's very likely they're going to they're gonna need one. Now, you had mentioned um, in the earlier recording possibly starting C.J. Miles in a series against the Cavs. We've talked about this at different times during the year. Um, I was in favor of C.J. starting out of the gate over Norman Powell. Uh, You thought maybe they should try out a little early in the year to get some familiarity. They still don't have a large sample of C.J. Miles with the starters. In a series against the Cavs, um, I mentioned what that would do to the Valanciunas matchup because you'd have a Baca on James. Uh, So if you wanted Valanciunas on another wing, you know, maybe maybe you have to put DeRozan on Kevin Love or CJ Miles on Kevin Love, which is a post-up threat. Um, uh, uh, then again, the Cavaliers might be starting a traditional center come playoff time, whether it's Tristan Thompson or a slightly less traditional center in Larry Nance. Um, so it might be moot, but you are growing once again open to that possibility, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, not, you know, I think that's the obvious offense first lineup, but there are other looks that you can consider it would be tougher if you're playing LeBron because you just 
need more size. Uh, like it's harder to put in, you know, DeLon Wright, for example, and make that work at all defensively. Uh, but if you're having this sort of trouble with LeBron and guarding him and, you know, and the, and forcing him to move the ball isn't working because the Cavs are hitting too many of their shots and letting him get his isn't working because he's LeBron James. I think you have to consider trying to outscore this team because they are eminently exploitable on that end. Uh, and, and I wrote about that at, at the athletic uh, off of the game. The caveat here is we don't know what the Cavaliers are going to look like come the playoffs, come two weeks from now, frankly. Um, they've been together for such a short time and they've had so, you know, so many injuries in that time that the, it becomes a non-issue if they're playing a certain type of way. But, here, uh, but it's something worth considering, I think, because you want to take advantage of a team's weakness and, and making them work defensively and maybe – uh, putting LeBron into a situation where he has to work a bit more defensively uh, isn't the worst thing in the world. And, you know, worst case, Serge Ibaka picks up two early fouls and you got him off the floor. <laughs> yeah, Ibaka has not been particularly good of late. Um, obviously, his fourth quarter shooting has been a big problem. His uh, performance on back-to-backs, his shooting performance at least, is uh, really in the tank. Luckily, there are no back-to-backs in the playoffs. Do you have confidence no, that Serge Ibaka? Yeah, are, are you confident that Serge Ibaka is going to look a little better come playoff time? No, <laughs> um, I, I would not say I'm confident. I think the rest is good, and and I think he proved his worth last year. Uh, but you know, it's it's so tough when you're comparing players to their salaries, and he's just he's not going to make up. He's not going to represent that sort of value. Now, of course, the Raptors exceed their value in many other spots uh, on the roster and on the payroll. Uh, but Ibaka seems like a wild card on, on so many nights, and hopefully they can work in some rest for him down the stretch, and this four-and-a-half game lead on the Celtics remains fairly comfortable, which I think, you know, given the Celtics' health, even though the Ra- the Raps have a tough schedule uh, for the next few weeks, uh, you know it should be enough for them to yeah to hold on. Jacob Goldstein's um, he does a lot of his, his projections based on his PAPM metric. He has the Raptors at ninety nine point five percent to finish in the one seed. So um, short of them dropping both games to Boston and therefore surrendering the tiebreaker, uh, I don't see much chance of them slipping out of first. Which may mean you mentioned the schedule coming up. We should talk about that. Friday, they'll play Brooklyn. Uh, that would seem like a prime opportunity to get either Serge Ibaka or maybe Jakob Pertl a night down to rest. Pertl actually had a, a solid enough first half, a really good first half, actually, against Cleveland. Um, shakier second half that may be due to fatigue. But he hasn't looked his best of late, um, which is unusual for him. And he has played in every single game. So uh, maybe he gets a night off somewhere. But Serge Ibaka would look like a potential candidate against the Nets. Uh, and then the Raptors get a tough schedule from there. Six straight playoff teams come in um it's the clippers and the nuggets before the raptors uh go out for a boston cleveland road trip that you will be on eric uh what are you looking for from this team over this stretch not the brooklyn game because we've seen enough of those uh, against brooklyn and orlando and atlanta at this point um that six game stretch though against winning teams two hungry playoff teams in the acc 
a pair of tough road games, uh, another one against Boston and, and Indiana. What are you what are you looking for for the, from this team in that stretch? I'm I mean there are there are things we've talked about already uh, in no order. I want to see how Ananobi OG Ananobi responds in the next few games uh, because if he's still playing at this you know level, he's he's going to go in as you know your your Andrew Bogut starter who plays the first six minutes of both both halves and that's pretty much it and that's not the worst thing the Raptors have depth that's what it's for uh but the best version of this team has him playing a significant defensive role and he's gonna have to show a little more than he has uh both before and after the injury for that for for the coaching staff to feel comfortable in that uh, the other thing is, you know, how are they going to rebound defensively? They've given up 132 points in two of the last three games. Uh, obviously, those are two very, very dangerous teams with two, you know, superstar offensive players uh, in Westbrook and LeBron James. Uh, and, and as we discussed, they beat them in different ways. But I, I want to see the pick-and-roll defense uh, short up a little bit, uh, especially against, you know, offensive-minded team like you know Denver, even though they don't run the most p- traditional pick-and-roll type, there's certainly a team that can that can hammer you uh, if you're not uh, on your P's and Q's. Why did why did they so- settle on P's and Q's for that expression? I'm not sure. Um, to your point, though, the Raptors uh, are down to number five in defense on the year now. They're 15th over the last 10 games. Uh, somewhat encouraging, maybe. Their net rating hasn't changed. They have the best offense in the NBA over the last 10 games. Uh, but a lot of that might have to do with um, playing teams like Orlando a lot and getting into shootouts with Oklahoma City and Cleveland. They only scored 93 points against Orlando. Yes, that was a very slow-paced game, if I remember, though. Um, but yes, that was a that was not the game that I should have cited for them pumping up their offense. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that is a concern. I agree with you. I'll be looking out for that. I would like, you know, I, I know... I know people think that you should just rest wherever the schedule calls for rest. Don't worry about the, you know, if you rest against a good team, whatever, you have the one seed locked up. Um, I don't think the Raptors will approach things like that. I think Brooklyn is the place, is the spot to get rest. Um, the Clippers game, the Nuggets game, and the first Celtics game, none of those are back-to-back scenarios. The Celtics game is actually their only game in a five-day stretch. So some some built-in rest is upcoming. And then of course they have Cleveland Boston back to back so that the fan base can panic right before the playoffs. Um, do you, you know, do you think uh, Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan get an, another night off? Do you think Serge Ibaka gets Friday night off? Uh, it's tough to, I mean, I think Ibaka gets a day at some point, you know, whether it's Friday or not, I'm not sure, but uh, that would be my bet uh, that he does see a game off. And since, you know, the, the Nets really, they like to shoot threes. Having Ibaka not in there isn't isn't the worst thing. He can, you have Siakam and Ananobi and uh, a bunch of other more versatile defenders on the perimeter that you can get by with. Uh, like you, I sort of think that's a logical place. As for Lowry and DeRozan, you know, I think... I don't know how they feel. A few games ago, DeRozan said he felt pretty banged up. I think that was after the Dallas game, which we didn't even talk about, Blake. The Dallas game? Um, why, why would we? That was years ago, it seems like. Um, I think that's probably something you wait until 
the last week of the season for unless they really, really need it now. Uh, they they do have a Sunday-Monday back-to-back uh, in the last week of the season that promises to be uh, – it doesn't promise, but you know, you would say right now it will probably be meaningless. Uh, that That's where the odds lie. So uh, I, I would think that's the spot. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah, and I think you want as much high-level competition – for those guys uh, without, you know, being, being sloppy and, and being reckless uh, as you can get, because they obviously have late game issues and you want them feeling as confident as they can going into uh, pressure bake situations. I will say there's one other spot that rest will be coming Sunday, April 8th, WrestleMania. Uh, I will be probably taking that game off. I'll lose my Ironman streak for that one. Cause there's almost no way that that game matters, Eric. Uh, let's close it out. Let's hit on. It's Fanapalooza. <laughs> um, there are, you know, a couple things we could, uh, we could talk about to round this out that aren't Raptors related, unless you have any Raptors parting shots before we get into the, um, innate no, pop culture no. part of this podcast. Try not to freak out about the loss, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, there, as you know, I mentioned before the game, as we've mentioned on this podcast, so many variables in play, so many caveats. Uh, it took a, I mean, the Raptors played very well offensively, but it took a historic performance for the Cavs to pull that one out uh, by James. That's not to say he's not capable of that. Obviously he is, but it does not mean, as one ignoramus tweeted, that these are the same old Raptors. Just one ignoramus tweeted that. Well, I saw that one ignoramus tweeted that, and he is among the ignoramiest of ignoramuses. Good, 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 good. Ignorami. Yes, ignorami. Yeah, well, you know those damn Raptors beat writers. Just carrying water for the team, writing 2,400 words about the bad late-game decision-making. You know. Yep, we're all, we're all, uh, you know, there's a word here. Yeah, let's just skip it. You know, we're, 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 Basically, what was the name of the Soviet uh, television uh, apparatus? I don't know. Is it Pravda? I don't know. Hmm. That's why I said. Anyway, was... we're them. Yeah, sure. We're the propagandists. Yes. Raptors Infowars. Let's go. Um, <laughs> okay, so we had a, we had a couple of things to hit on non-Raptors. Uh, did you see the Brooklyn Nine-Nine series season premiere or like half season re-kickstart, whatever you call it, when they take a bunch of weeks off on Sunday? Return. Pardon me? Return. Yeah. It's return. That's the word. Yes. It's return to air. I, I think my best guess is it was sort of a random return to air because it sort of wrapped up a, a plot that had been running through. I did. It was funny. Andre It was Brower a very good funny. Andre Brower episode. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, has he won an Emmy for this role? I don't think I don't so. Know. Uh he sort of, I mean, Emmys are dumb. The words are dumb, but feels like he should. Yeah, uh, he's like, been he's a nominee. A he has not won. He's won other yeah. awards, but not for this. It's just, yeah, he's just such a gold mine of hilarity, and and for somebody to, you know, I guess the key to comedy is just playing comedic scenes like yes. their dramas, uh, and like. And nobody does it better than, Hello, Kevin. than he does. 
which probably comes from his extensive, yeah, which probably comes from his extensive background as a dramatic actor. I should, uh, you know, yeah, I should start doing the podcast this way. Hello, Eric. It's Blake Murphy, your podcast co-host. Just even though you know, I'm here. To, I'm, I'm here. I'm here to rescue you from yeah being on your related to with your dog related to uh that episode do you have a favorite nicholas cage movie um i'm sort of a sucker for i mean i love the rock all i want to know is are you happy with your haircut eric (laughs) you know there was a stage in my life where i pulled where the sean connery welcome to the rock uh you know, line was said by me okay. too often, one could argue. Uh, and also, I'm sort of a sucker for the National Treasure movies. National Treasure is very good. Yeah, I, those are entertaining. There's a lot of good ones. A lot of good ones. Okay, uh, the other thing, what was the other? Oh, yeah, you're not caught up on Riverdale, so we could skip that, but it's completely ridiculous, obviously. Yes. Yeah, there's not much more to say about it. The WWE. Yes, the return of Daniel Bryan. The WWE. Daniel Bryan is back. Yes. It's uh that was old Bryan Danielson. Yes. It's a lot of fun because um I met I tweeted as much, but like the wrestling industry, at least the wrestling industry of the past, you find out that so many of these guys are garbage people. And by all accounts, Daniel Bryan is just like the best dude. And the amount of wrestlers who were sad to see him retire and name him as one of their dream opponents. And he's still only 36. So he's got time if he stays healthy to get all of these dream moments in and how much it means to him. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Eric, you, your wrestling fandom has kind of been in and out. Were you like, were you around? Were you still tuned in during the the peak Daniel Bryan time in WWE? You know, I was sort of, I was reading more than I was watching. Uh, and, so I, I didn't really – I think I might have – I saw the WrestleMania, I think, where he won the Intercontinental Belt. Okay. But that was after peak and after his first major injury, yes. I believe, uh, in this chain of injuries. So I know of his story and I know how much, you know, real life seemingly intersected into – uh, the plot of uh, WWE, but I, I was not a first-hand viewer. No. Yeah, it was it was weird because nothing in wrestling is ever organic, and his rise to the top was the most organic thing you can really get in that wrestling environment where everything is scripted. Because he basically got so popular and was so beloved that he forced their hand over and over again, uh, even when all reports were that they didn't really want to, you know, to concede to the wishes of the fans. Um, but he was just, you know, inarguably so good and so popular. It's great. Also, when yeah. he was in Ring of Ultim- Honor. Ultimately, uh, ultimately, in today's more modern, uh, with the mo- more modern fan, like, the, you have to respond to the fans somehow, even if it's, like, to continually push Roman Reigns because the quote-unquote smart fans are giving, are, are offering so much heat for it. Like, you can't ignore the fans in the same way that Vince McMahon was pushing, you know, your six foot five, 300 pound steroid juicing guy 15 or 20 years ago. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You or maybe to. longer, 25 or 30 years ago. Um, yeah, you have to listen at least a little bit because even if that's not your plan, that's still where your income's coming from. 
Um, in the case of Brian, I mean, he's just like, he's so inarguably the best baby face that they have and the most natural underdog character that they have. So all of his stories are really easy to tell. And this next one is going to be just the same yeah. because it's going to have so much real life mixed into it. Um, I also, you could blame Daniel Bryan for maybe for how deep a wrestling geek I am because when he was in Ring of Honor and he was very young and he was going by the name Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, um, he was, I probably downloaded more of his matches on LimeWire than any wrestler. Um, and he was, I mean, that he's kind of a, basically like a gateway indie guy for me. So um, if my tweets about wrestling annoy you or these last five minutes have annoyed you, Daniel Bryan is the guy to blame. Heel of the cinch. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry about that, guys. I, I've just been sort of thinking about how good a, you know, a semi heel Roman Reigns Daniel Bryan. It would be good. It's, it, be it's far down the list. What I want though, in terms of the reaction. Yeah, I, I don't want to see it right away. It just seems like you know, if you're continuing that sort of uh, WWE guy versus Daniel Bryan, that they have to get there at some point. It's too logical. Yeah, that makes sense. And we're talking especially like. Post Brock Lesnar world, which is hopefully soon because I'm. Tired. It's uh, it's almost definitely soon. Um, the yeah. yeah, so the one the one Daniel Bryan thing I really want is the entire time that he was sidelined, he had this really good, very smart, um, long running feud with the Miz, and I mean the Miz is yeah. the best heel that they have. He's the only heel left on the planet that still gets booed like a heel is supposed to be booed because he's still you know every other good heel starts to get cheered because they're you know, they're good and they're cool. Yeah. So good. And, and the Miz is, no. yeah. is like, it's almost, there's these weird levels. Like obviously there's X-Pac heat where people boo you just cause they don't want to see you. And then there's heel heat where, you know, you're a heel, but you're not. So people boo you, but you're not good enough that people really love you yet. And then you hit that area where like, yeah. Like Seamus. Although Seamus, Seamus is like, he's, he's good. He's, I don't think he's, you know, if he's the top guy, he's not good, but this tag team he said with Cesaro. Yeah, I'm talking. I'm talking like a few. Uh, yeah, maybe a year and a half. Ago, yeah, that's a good level. And then you have the the guys who are you know too good a heel where they get cheered like a CM Punk. And then you've got this other level that only Miz exists on, where he's so good at being a heel you can't possibly cheer for him, um, even though he's like objectively awesome. And I think he'd be such a good foe, such a good foe for Daniel Bryan yeah. because of the history and also because like. He's notoriously a super safe worker also. Um, so if you have residual worries about yeah. Daniel Bryan's health. Although based on that that bump he took. Yeah, on, he's fine. Uh, An apron power bomb? That, that was not – I know. yeah, that, that was just not easing him into it. Uh, and, you know, it definitely – it definitely uh, – it made you think of the injury, uh, which is, you know, the idea that's – you know, you have to play with real life and wrestling or else it doesn't work at this at this stage. But, you know, they weren't easing him into uh, his his new role, it doesn't seem. Other than, you know, not putting him in a... Presumably not putting him in a singles match right away. Yeah, that'll be... Yeah, I think it's going to be him and Shane McMahon against Sami Zayn and Kevin. Yeah. Kevin, I changed my Twitter name back to Kevin Steen to play with the internet about, you know, my firing. That was... <laughs> the, the subtle layers that social media has added. Anyway, we should wrap this up. Um, 
people are probably not happy to have listened to this much wrestling talk, but it's our podcast, so deal with it. Oh, they, can, they, can tr- they can turn it off. Also, we've done well in the last while to keep this stuff to the end of the podcast, so I feel like that we've had yeah. a clear line of demarcation where the nonsense is going to stop and the talk about wrestling in Riverdale is going to start. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, man, I took uh, enough of your time with dual recordings today. I should let you go. Um, any parting shots for the listeners? We'll probably talk to them Tuesday or Wednesday next week. Yeah. Um, no, I don't oh, you know already said, Just don't take, the, don't take the loss too seriously, too hard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be okay. Uh, it's it's only the best regular season in Raptors history. But if and I under I understand, like I understand the angst around the last playoffs and the wanting to capitalize on this moment because you know the future might be coming in the East faster than than we predict, or who knows what LeBron's going to do. So this time does seem poignant. Uh, this season seems poignant. But things are going well. It's going to be okay. We can't guarantee they're going to the finals, but this is a damn good team, and they've made really important steps to maximize their ability to do so. Yeah, that sounds like a good way to wrap it up, man. Uh, we do. What time do you play tonight? Am I going to see you cross over at the arena? Uh, Nine fifteen nope. at at. Uh, yeah, all right. We'll see you. And now, then I don't even I don't even have to say where I'm going to be, yeah. and have all the people come and flock, which would have totally happen. Yeah, it's it's been known for happening. Okay, man, uh, I will see you tomorrow for the Brooklyn Nets. Then. All right, be well. All right, thanks for listening, guys.